Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength sports competitor, powerlifting, Highland Games, all that. I run Strength Guild, coach, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist. I run Extreme Human Performance and do a whole bunch of other stuff. This is Dr. Jason Kaliva. I'm a sports scientist. I'm an assistant professor of exercise science at Coastal Carolina University. And I also do online coaching through Big Red Physical Performance. All right. Nice. Uh, well, Happy New Year, everybody. I think this might be our first one in the new year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we got some news. We got the usual stuff coming at you here. Um, let me start off with a couple of iTunes reviews. One of the things we did in the fall was sort of a community, um, sort of a contest. We just asked people to spread the word about Iron Radio a little bit, uh, give their opinions and thoughts. And this morning, actually, I'm sending out some swag. Um, you know, let me gripe for a minute. I, I tweeted about this, but I don't know if anybody else experiences this, but every time I try to log into something, um, like a third-party vendor, they try to force me to do it with Facebook. I hate that. I am not a Facebook guy. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to share all of my other contacts and all that crap. And you might think, well, they give you a way to log in yourself, you know. Not really. They make it damn near impossible to do it. Uh, unless you do it through Facebook, and I hate that. So there's a, a gripe right out of the gate for 2017. Uh, anyway, so but that this the the thank you swag rewards uh, are on the way. Let me get to some of these. I'll just do the December ones. This first one is by Defensive Fitness. He says the science of lifting and health. I've worked in the sport and fitness industry for the past nine years, which has made me very critical of what I listen to. I've listened to every episode these guys put out every Monday morning. Um, yeah, so I guess it, most people would listen Monday mornings. Uh, the well-rounded quality from science to theory to application is delivered in a context to please all levels of education on the topics. The hosts have my blessing on what they teach on the show. So thank you, Defensive Fitness. That was cool. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mid-December, we have one from... Running Wag, 1973, he says, or she, truly the best evidence-based podcast out there. They make the science fun and informative. Keep up the awesome work as I look forward to each episode. Uh, next up, we have Blank Ships Ahoy. This is December 19th. He says, or she, Iron Radio is a critical and entertaining look at any and all topics concerning strength training, bodybuilding, and nutrition. The weekly episodes are invaluable in helping me successfully navigate the endless barrage of bro science on the internet as I continue to grow as a lifter. It's funny, engaging, and informative. So that was cool. Two more. Yeah, so quite a few came in in the month of December, no doubt because of the little contest we did. 
Uh, this one, next one says Nerdy Meathead Iron. Um, <laughs> and it's by 12357113. It's all digits. Uh, anyway, he or she says, I've been listening for a few years, and being a nerdy person who loves to lift, I'm immensely grateful. Keep it up. Thank you. <laughs> And then finally, super great and thanks by manager Chris. This was uh, just before Christmas Eve. Great podcast for everyone interested in health, lifting, and fitness, uh, powerlifting, and strongman. This show is fun and informative. I just made my first donation in an attempt to make sure they keep it coming. Thanks, Iron Radio. <laughs> so thanks, manager Chris. So yeah, good stuff all around. We appreciate the reviews. They really help us with uh, you know the popularity on iTunes and whatnot. So. Uh, let's get to some news then. I don't have any specific males. Phil, I know you said the, uh, the Russians are in the news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, they came out and basically what we got going on is WADA has, oh, what do they got? Well, they got 28 new cases coming up, but, um, it looks like over a thousand Russians and Russians across 30 sports, uh, were involved in a state-sponsored doping program between 2011 2015. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. And they got WADA has 28 new cases. They're saying this isn't. These are adverse analytical findings. It doesn't mean it's a positive yet, but they're going into it further. And you know, one of the ladies came out, Anna, uh, her something bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's the acting director of uh, the Russia's National Anti-Doping Agency came out and kind of admitted to it, but, of course, says none of the top officials in the government knew anything about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, very Russian of them. They're just throwing the underlings <laughs> under the bus. Oh, very and, Russian. And, and, I wonder how many Russian <laughs> listeners we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like something's going on that they don't know about, for right, sure. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're admitting to what we all knew was going on in the first place. Um I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence about this because part of me is like, great, they're popping these people. The other part is, is they're popping them from 2014 and 2010, and I'm not sure I agree with going back in time. Retro, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just you're opening a can of worms that you probably don't want opened. You know. So they're <laughs> still doing that, right? I didn't know they were. You know? Yeah, because you mentioned that before. It's almost like a watching a video replay like from the NFL like nope nope yeah. they lost the Super Bowl back in 2009 yeah. because we reviewed the video more closely that's these 28 new tests are from the Sochi games in 2014 and it's like oh uh, you know if they passed at that time we got, you got to kind of let it go on the day you know? yeah rules on that day yeah because it's just going to be I, I'm afraid it's going to get a lot uglier than they want it to get and just throw taint the whole games, you know. <laughs> so, um, which kind of we all know is happening, but the general pop doesn't. So let them live in their world of, you know, <laughs> safety, <laughs> where they think everybody's fair and not drugged. You know, that's the hard so, part because the right. testing is always, I think, so far behind what athletes are doing, yes. or historically it has been. Yeah, I think there is a limit. They had stated how far back they can go, but it's quite a ways back. It's not a couple of years. So yeah, so, yeah. We mentioned that before. I I don't think they've considered the end game of all this. That you drag up so much dirt that you just hurt everything. You hurt the, yeah, the, the entire person sport. in like seventy eighth ends up being the gold medalist now. And it's like, what do you do? They're not really gonna. 
What are they going to do? Hold the medal ceremony again and give these people fame? That dude's still yeah, going to be known as 78th yeah. by the general population, you know? I actually uh, think about a lot of the old, um, like I would, when I used to read bodybuilding magazines and stuff, they would, there, there would always be discussions from the competitors about the best man on that day, right? Yeah. On that day. Not saying in some other day, under other conditions, someone else might have won, especially when things were close. But that reminds me of this, mm. right? That on that day, with the technology of the day, the guy won the gold medal. Leave him alone. Yes. You know, um, I, I get what they're saying. Like, they don't want, I don't know. It, it becomes a witch hunt. I it think. does. So. Okay. And look at what happened to cycling even a couple of years ago. I mean... What, how far back do they have to go on the Tour de France to find someone who passed all the tests? It was <laughs> right. pretty nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-1940s, you know, the pre-testosterone yeah. era or pre, pre-doping. Yeah. And yeah. if you look at the times, like, you know, that's one of the arguments that's been made that, you know, some of the doping testing has been working better because people haven't gotten faster. You yeah. know, in pure, like, strength and power sports and track and field, you know, their times haven't statistically gotten that much better from before so yeah yeah okay let me get to one piece of science news i have here and then we'll get to dr kuliva um i thought this was interesting from the institute of food technologist is the the uh, journalist part is what i'll read first and then i'll just very quickly visit the study abstract itself but it says a2 protein in milk may boost the body's defenses against degenerative diseases. Now, this is the first time I've, I've seen a lot of attention on different kinds of casein. So not just different little peptides in the casein, but genetic differences depending on the cow, okay? So it says a study published in the journal, um, the Nutrition Journal, shows that cow's milk containing only the A2 type of beta casein protein may increase the antioxidant glutathione, um, and if you're not familiar, listeners, it's, this is an intracellular, it's a natural antioxidant. It will upregulate with training and things like that. But th- this journalist refers to its disease fighting power, that sort of thing. Uh, it says, depending on a cow's genetic makeup, milk contains either A1 or A2 type of beta casein proteins or a mix of both. So conventional dairies combine all the, their milk, right? So these guys are talking about doing a simple genetic test and identifying which cows are producing A1 slash A1, whether they're producing a mix of A1 and A2, uh, again, beta casein producers, or A2, A2, which is what I think they're looking for. Uh, The idea is once you identify the A2 only casein producers, then the cows can be segregated from the other cows, and then you can um, sell their milk as a specialty product, I think. if I go to the actual study here in the Nutrition Journal, this is spanking new. Uh, this is by Death, D-E-T-H. Well, there's a last name uh, and colleagues. But um, it says, thus, milk containing only the A2 beta casein and not the A1 casein has the potential to promote the production of the antioxidant glutathione in humans. So, I don't know, maybe look for that coming down the road. you, you Maybe supplements that sell only the A2 beta casein powder or milk, you know, in a specialty grocer that's only selling this genetic variant of casein. I don't know. Uh, Mike, I I don't want to pigeonhole you. Or Jason, have you guys heard of special caseins like this? 
I've I've heard of it coming. I don't know of any companies yet that have anything that specific. I know there was some debate about genetically testing cows to determine what you know, sort of lineage they came from in terms of you know grass fed or non grass fed and the milk mm-hmm. they produced and things of that nature. But I haven't heard of any supplement companies at least yet. Maybe they're working on it, producing only one specific type. But that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it makes me wonder if. If indeed it can upregulate glutathione, you know, what, would that have any training or adaptation benefits, you know, uh, like for us, for people who actually lift, as opposed to just yeah. general disease fighting power, you know? You would assume that it would, because, you know, a lot of that, if you look at the extreme of overtraining, overreaching, is tied into the immune system very heavily. So you would assume that it may help recovery, but I haven't seen anything that's directly looked at that. Right. It's logical. It, it specifically mentions abnormal cell differentiation, such as neurodegenerative diseases or conditions like pancreatitis or cancer. So, I don't know. Have you seen anything, Jason? No, I have not. I'd, I'd be interested to see what type of uh, what type of dose of the protein that they were using. Um, how much would a human have to consume to gain any benefits from it? Right. I think right now it's mostly theoretical. Just can the cow? Can they separate the cows that make it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, different kinds of casein. Anyway. Okay, um, Jason. Let's talk about you for a little bit. You can refresh everybody, listeners. Jason's been on the show. Doctor Kuliva has been on the show before, uh, but we'll just check in with what's going on with him uh, before we get to our topic of the day. So I am an assistant professor of exercise science at Coastal Carolina University. I think the last time I was on, we were actually talking about the, uh, the nutrition education study that we performed in the baseball team a few years ago. And, uh, and our baseball team won the national championship this, uh, this past summer. So that was pretty awesome to see some of the guys that, that we were able to work with a few years ago uh, kind of as seniors come into their own and really uh, surprise everyone and outperform. Uh, My current research right now at Coastal is looking at resistance training adaptation, and I've kind of shifted and specifically looking at it in young, healthy females. I I think that's a really underrepresented population in the research. Yeah. Most of what we see in females is usually in uh, overweight or obese females and in that perimenopausal, postmenopausal period. Um, but we don't really see a lot in your typical uh, fitness consumer, that being you know, the, the 18 to say 35 or 40-year-old female who doesn't really have any comorbidities and just wants to improve their fitness or aesthetics. Uh, most of the research... Uh, in that 18 to 35-year-old population is all done in men. And whether there's differences or not uh, in terms of physiology and and response, uh, I I don't really think there are. And if there are, they're going to be small. But at the same time, um, you know, there's nothing out there validating uh, a lot of our suggestions. And they're certainly in the popular and mainstream media. and, And I'm sure over the past week, it's kind of, come at you ad nauseum a lot of uh, a lot of suggestions and a lot of I want to say poor advice coming from the 
the popular mainstream fitness media. Have you and we'll get into that, that study specifically in the, the next round too. But yeah, this time of year is, oof, I, I try to avoid a lot of mainstream media, so I don't, <laughs> I don't see a lot of it, luckily. But <laughs> I agree, me too. I can't, it sounds can't elitist, it. but it's hard. It's hard to continually swallow it. Phil, you know what I'm talking about. After, oh, yeah. after like 30 years in the game, you're just like, here, here we go, mm-hmm. you know. What are your other research interests, Jason? My other research interests are, are twofold. Um, number one, the interaction between resistance training and nutrition intervention to improve body composition and also uh, to improve sport performance or, or metrics of, uh, of sport performance, specifically strength and power in, uh, in NCAA athletes. Uh, we've also started looking at the immunological response to resistance training, specifically um, concentrations of interleukins and tumor necrosis factor uh, following various resistance training sessions of, uh, of various intensities, restorations, volumes, upper body versus lower body. So we're trying to... Hmm kind of put together an understanding of, uh, of that. And it seems from preliminary data that this response is going to be very similar to the hormonal response exercise in that the greater the metabolic stress, the greater the volume, to a lesser extent the intensity, uh, the greater the, um, the immunological response is going to be. A quick question on that. So some of them like IL-6 I know has gotten kind of a, bad reputation so to speak would you say that that's maybe not necessarily true kind of like all omega-6 fats are horrible and evil but it kind of depends on like you're talking the dose and maybe the timing of that yeah for sure if you look at some in vitro studies uh, you see that il-6 actually promotes myoblast differentiation yeah Um, and so so the inflammatory response does seem to play a role in uh, in adaptation to to resistance exercise and, and hypertrophy. Now, what we're not able to differentiate is the IL six that is released from immune cells versus released from the muscle itself, and if there's a mm. a difference in the response between uh, you know these two types uh, based upon uh, what tissue uh, secretes them. Um, but but we do see at least again in the in, the in vitro data that that IL six does promote adaptation and that this inflammatory response to exercise does does play some sort of role in uh, in in skeletal muscle remodeling. Yeah, that's always been confusing, I think, to everybody. Uh, the inflammatory response, like how much of it is requisite for muscle remodeling? Because you hear about IL six, you'll hear like prostaglandin E2 and licking all yeah. that back to like the omega-6 fats like Mike's talking about. Yeah, it, it, and I don't think we know. It, yeah, antioxidants and inflammation are two very sticky subjects that, that are hard to um, just say stuff like inflammation and interleukin-6 is bad, you know, or uh, prostaglandin E2 is just bad because it's inflammatory. You, you can't say those things. It's too simple, you know, and people want to pigeonhole those things. It is interesting. Yeah. And with the antioxidants, um, you know, you see that the oxidative response to exercise serves as a signal for adaptation. And yeah. If you completely block that, say by taking a high dose of antioxidants, especially before endurance training, you get 
um, at least some reduced uh, initial adaptations, whether over the long term that translates into reduced performance, I'm not totally sure. But I would, I would venture to guess as a very speculative hypothesis that the same thing holds true for the inflammatory response. That that, that acute burst of, uh, of inflammation and inflammatory uh, cytokines and myokines plays a role in in signaling adaptation. However, you don't want to be walking around 24/7 with, uh, you know, with a, with a high level of these uh, with these chemicals floating around. Right. Okay. Cool. And last question. I know you do some fishing for fun. Anything other activities? I feel like I'm interviewing uh, you for a dating site. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I love being outside and uh, and away from human beings. And there's not like <clears throat> there's not a lot of good hiking or things like that in the area of South Carolina where I'm in. So getting out on my kayak and getting into the backwaters or or the creeks of of, uh, of the ocean um, and the marsh really provides a good escape for that. Plus, you know, I get some high quality protein to bring home, and there's nothing like fresh fish. Oh. Very tasty, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, go to break here and we'll be back in just a minute with the uh, topic of the day. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what Uh, there is a book available you could simply google crc press and lowry and what i've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book a single compendium that you can hold up and say this is why i consume extra protein this can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Welcome back to Iron Radio. It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Dr. Lani, Coach Phil Stevens, and today we're interviewing Dr. Jason Kaliva, and he's got some breaking news on brand new study that he's working on. So I'll let uh, 
him give us all the, the details here. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as I was saying uh, before break, um, in the mainstream media, especially in regards, well, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Selection cycle certainly brought that up and made it clear. But in fitness, there's there's a real lot of misinformation out there. And a lot of it comes targeted toward young females, young being that like 18 to 35, 18 to 40 age range. Um, in regards to training, or I guess, I guess we should back up a second and say that a lot of the aesthetic goals of this population are to improve their body composition, or as they would call it, become more toned. I hate that term. And Me too. I hate it when my students use that term. Um, but unfortunately, it's something we have to deal with if we want as scientists to get our point across to, uh, you know, to the to the lay population. Um, so anyways, that that aside, the uh, we're inundated over the years and, and especially this time of year uh, with all these recommendations uh, as far as how to improve body composition in females. And it's, it involves a lot of cardio a lot of little pink dumbbells and body weight <laughs> exercises that I'm not sure are supposed to target the abs and glutes or be some sort of, uh, of mating dance. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so in the, in the literature, this group, this population is so underrepresented. There's, there's really minimal mm -hmm. studies in regards to how best to improve body composition. Um, most of it, again, is in uh, either obese or, or, or females with some sort of morbidities or comorbidities or that perimenopausal uh, population. So what I'm, what I'm going to say in this study probably isn't any sort of breaking news to us as exercise physiologists or coaches or sports science, but I think it's important to to get the data out there. And the more data that we can get out there, the more it will hopefully uh, start to change the way that we uh, approach training and, and approach um, popular recommendations for training. So, we'll, so there's that big myth that if females lift heavy weights or pick up something greater than 15 or 20 pounds, they're going to bulk up and, and turn into uh, – I don't know how many of you guys watch the WWF, but but China overnight, mm -hmm. right? And, and you know, again, as as I'm probably preaching to the choir in that this probably is is not true. But we wanted to do a study, and we wanted to look at this. And so, what we did was we took recruited about 30, 30 girls, thirty uh, university students, and and put them through two different training programs. The training programs were matched based upon repetition volume. So for each exercise, the subjects were all performing uh, the same amount of repetitions, that being about um, 20 to 24. One group performed these repetitions with four sets of five to six, and the other group performed uh, two sets of 10 to 12. The, the study was eight weeks in length, and this included two weeks where we familiarize the subjects with the exercises so everyone was doing a couple sets of eight at a lower intensity just to learn how to do the, the exercises the exercises that we selected were 
were pretty practical in nature. We had them doing things like squats and RDLs and presses and also some cable work, um, three days a week covering the whole body. And, and we took some measurements of uh, a couple metrics of power. So we did a vertical jump. We did a, um, a medicine ball chest pass and measured uh, maximal velocity. Um, took some measures of strength being a seated overhead press and a one RM back squat. And then the real uh, meat and potatoes, the interesting stuff, was we looked at intracellular or compartmental body water and, uh, and body composition pre and post, as well as changes in arm and thigh muscle cross-sectional area. Um, we haven't analyzed all the data yet. We haven't really looked at nutritional differences between groups, um, although we did instruct the subjects to, uh, to maintain their current diet. But we'll see if they did when we actually analyze that or or total training volumes. But but in the end, what we found is that everyone got leaner, everyone got stronger, everyone gained a little bit of muscle. Um, the effect sizes for the muscle gain and changes in, uh, in limb cross-sectional area were moderate, so no one was turning into China overnight. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be really interesting when, when, the, when the whole study is published and kind of Hopefully we can get some press for it and change the whole paradigm of how we go about suggesting that, uh, you know, that this population exercises. And who's that girl that's always on Dr. Oz, that blonde? Tracy Anderson. Hopefully we can put, no. her, out of, put her out of business. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know where that whole myth started of you know women just need to lift lighter is that just because they think they're all hyper responders to training or do you have any background on how that kind of got started i don't know uh, i now this is completely speculative if you look at uh, exercise and sports and differences between the genders over say the past century um like when my dad was in high school, there were there were no female sports or minimal female sports. Uh, my dad was born in 1955, so he was in high school what 19 like 70 ish, mm-hmm. very early 70s. Um, so there really weren't a lot of uh, female sports in high school then, um, and especially before that. And so I'm just assuming that the way that physical education was taught and, and the sports that that girls were introduced to were, were different from guys and, and maybe it all stemmed from that um you know maybe it stemmed from the uh the early bodybuilders and steroids and and, and gaining muscle really quickly i honestly don't know i don't know but what are I mean, you guys you, thoughts? <laughs> i was gonna say you still see it in sports i mean we're just starting to beat back on the the male population the the myth that like with baseball players fighters and basketball players the weights make you slow and bulky yeah you know that's just starting to turn around i'm finally getting you know we're seeing some stuff with baseball players that they're actually agreeing that they should be doing it and that it's it's fighting tommy john's disease and in youth and stuff like that so i mean it's not just the women the women's just overblown even more but you know the whole weight's making you bulky and slow and it was on the male side too, but it's just way overblown on the female side. That it's going to turn you into taught. Jane's going to turn into John. Yeah. Right? No, that's right. There's even suggestions yeah. in textbooks. I mean, I was talking a few weeks ago about 
I actually have this figure, and it shows the uh, like the classic adaptations with little infographics, you know, of an endurance athlete, a weightlifter, and a sedentary person. And one of them is body composition, and it shows the runner with very lean little symbol, the average person with medium, and with the power athlete a fat symbol. And I'm like, yeah. wow. And it, again, back <laughs> to your idea that they're they're almost thinking like super heavyweight Russian powerlifter. Yeah, you know, yeah. crazy. Yeah, and I think it's just been a 10-year lag or maybe 20-year lag before this has trickled over to women, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll pose this to you, Dr. Cleva first, and the other guys. I believe that if it's normalized for basically body size, that women can actually gain strength and even some hypertrophy to similar degrees as males, but males tend to be bigger to start with, so obviously they're going to continue to be bigger. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's correct. At least that's that's what I've seen in, uh, yeah, that's what in, I've seen in the research is that the rate of adaptation is is quite similar between men and women, especially in the lower body. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the biggest thing is that, like you said, it's the, the starting point where men generally start with uh, with more muscle mass and, and greater yeah. strength and and uh, and progress from there and that's why it seems like there's some sort of uh, of difference but but there doesn't seem to be a huge difference in that rate of adaptation especially with strength does that kind of match what you've seen Phil and Lonnie yeah I mean aside from the outliers you know, I have, oh, yeah, like, I have one players. girl that just she looks at weights and boom, <laughs> she just blows up, and it's pretty awesome. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the awesome. average person, yeah, yeah. I know Stu Phillips a few years ago. I'm panning around Medline for this now. Um, oh, here it is, uh, West and Phillips. This is uh, Physician Sports Med 2010. Uh, they actually did a paper, sort of identifying the role of testosterone and growth hormone. Because yeah. I think initially you're like, well, boys have testosterone, they have bigger muscles, you know. And of course there's truth to that. Nobody's saying that testosterone doesn't play a role. But I do think it gets confusing when you guys are talking about acute like adaptations during a training cycle. It looks like women grow about like men. So mm. so Ooh, what's the real really role? Good. You know? Yeah. And the study from West was looking at acute changes in testosterone due to training. Uh, not necessarily chronic effects. And what, you're correct, Lonnie. What they showed was that there was not any effect on that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting study for, because for a long time um, there was the hormone hypothesis where it was yeah. thought that the the acute response to to exercise played some sort of role in adaptation and and you know in some extremes you had people programming not based upon the uh, the objectives of training but rather to achieve some sort of hormonal response thinking that that was going to lead to some sort of uh, of additional growth or strength and it's just it's not the case um at least not in uh, in adults you know you get this increase in testosterone or growth hormone after training but it's very transient it's, half hour maybe an hour max where it's elevated and that 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 length of time just isn't enough to uh to promote some sort of additional adaptation yeah and what i really liked about that study was that they did each person as their own control 
And so they came in and they had him do squats, which if you pull up the literature, especially from, you know, classic guys like Dr. Kramer, it is pretty clear that, you know, doing heavy squats, compound exercises will increase uh, hormones acutely. So then, like you said, the assumption was, well, that must lead to greater gains. So in the study, they had him exercise squats and then their right arm and they had a rest and they came back the next day and then reversed it. So they did their left arm first and then squats. So the one arm basically that was done first saw the higher levels of the anabolic hormones and the other arm did not. So what I love about that study is that it's each person serving as their own control and just switching the condition and the volume and everything else was the same. And they didn't show any effects with that, any size difference between the left versus the right arm. Right. And that's probably not to say that, you know, circulating levels of these hormones aren't don't play some sort of role right. in adaptation because i'm i'm guessing if you castrated somebody and uh and uh, and had them resistance trained they wouldn't see the same results as if they you know had yeah. normal physiological levels right over the years over the years i read stuff about how the primary role of testosterone is an anti-catabolic one you know, maybe it interferes with the way cortisol receptors work, or it might be good to have Darren Willoughby or uh, or Stu Phillips or Nick Bird on and have them give us th their thoughts on this. You know, I'm I'm looking at a 2015 paper in front of me right now that um, Dr. Willoughby was part of, and we've had him on the show, and he had a good comment too about time courses, which is like what you guys yeah. are saying, like acutely you could see some surge in something, but over 12 or 16 weeks does it matter you know or even after you measure you stop measuring as a scientist does everything flip-flop and does homeostasis ruin what you thought was happening you know yeah uh, that's happened with the NSAID studies too so they looked at initially NSAIDs will blunt some hypertrophy and they do blunt a lot of the signaling and everything else and then uh, one of the trappy brothers did a study in kind of older adults and they found that NSAIDs were basically mildly anabolic when they ran an actual long-term human chronic study on it. It just pushed out the time course. So if you took your snapshot at 24 hours, you go, oh, my God, it's screwing with hypertrophy. But then it kind of overshoots, you know, a couple of days after that. So Right, yeah. So back to women, other than hormones, what else? I mean, uh, Dr. Kaliva, obviously you're researching this stuff. I, we have a, a growing and significant number of listeners who are female powerlifters or physique athletes, women who lift heavy. So um, what are your other thoughts about some of this? I mean, if it's not acute hormonal differences or uh, what would your advice be to some of these women? Like, why are they getting bigger? Do we, do we really know? Um, you said you just asked them to maintain their current diet. Could their diets be different from men's in some way? Just any thoughts you have. Of course. Um, well, with regards to, uh, with regards to gender differences in, uh, expression of strength and power, it looks like the Q angle plays a role in that. Um, both in the upper and the lower body. That being, Can you explain the Q angle for people who are just listening and not familiar with it? I, I will. I'm, I'm probably going to do a poor job because I'm not a biomechanist. <laughs> um, but the Q angle refers to the angle between the, the hip and the thigh and the knee. Right? So men have narrower hips, so the thigh is more vertical. 
women have wider hips, so the thigh is at a little bit more of a diagonal. And, and uh, in re- especially with regards to like sprinting, that plays a role in uh, in reducing the the force transfer into the ground. Um, and, and don't ask me to explain that because that's above my pay grade and outside of my field. Um, we see slightly the same thing with the elbow as well. And this was called into question, um, God, there was a, a female fighter who was um, transgender. Hmm. And, and so I think, I think that's where that came about. Um, but anyways, getting back to really the, the crux of it all, um, there's huge benefits for women to get gain muscle mass and, and, and get stronger. And this is for the general population. Obviously, female uh, physique competitors, whether they're doing bikini or, or uh, physique or, or onward up, understand this. And female powerlifters understand this. But for the general population, there's such huge improvements um, in, in just everyday life from increasing strength and muscle mass. And we see that uh, strength is correlated with, uh, with longevity. People who are stronger generally live longer. People who are stronger maintain uh, better health into their, their later years, um, are more independent. Uh, you know, in, in terms of your New Year's resolutioners, um, more muscle mass means uh, slightly elevated metabolism a greater potential to reduce body fat bone density um, yeah. yeah yeah we i think we can go on and on and you know it seems like we're just kind of i'm maybe preaching to the choir in terms of the education level of your listeners or am i am i assuming too much no i i think we've got a yeah, group of good. people who are cluing in pretty well but that's it's good though it's good to sometimes get reinforced you know yeah, I think you know. I think the biggest thing is, uh, as scientists or coaches, how do we how do we get this across to the the general population who are stuck in some sort of particular mindset? You know, like yeah, how do I get I this information I'll... across to my mother so that she starts lifting some heavier weights? Yeah, and I think that's a a long term process. Because um, actually, this past year, my actually you talked about your mother. My mom just started lifting weights at a facility that I know in Alexandria, Minnesota, Noonan Sports, and she was all excited because she got up to uh, deadlifting with the trap bar deadlift. I think 145 for like five reps, um, and she's in her late 60s, and she's never trained at all in the, probably the last 45 years, like nothing at all, and it's. It's very fascinating to see how she's like, well, I feel better and well, I can move now and look, I can do this and I can do that. And, you know, some of her prescription medications went away. And so, yeah, it's always interesting when it, it happens to someone, you know, to see them go through all the things that you know about, but to see them experience it as being new. It's uh, very cool to see. Yeah, I'm glad to see uh, Dr. Kaliva kind of creating a little bit of evidence that we can point to, you know, because it's. You're yeah. always like, no, that's a myth. And if you're going to bust myths, you need evidence. And, 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 you know, Jason, like you were saying, there's, there's just so little literature on certain, especially certain age groups of women when it comes to resistance training. We need something to point to, whether it's college, you know, women or it's older women, uh, you know, or what have you. In fact, let me offer this. 
I might have mentioned this in, in years past. It's funny to say that, but uh, when Phil guest lectures to my seniors, usually in the spring I'll ask him to come on and sort of talk, you know, in the trenches sense to them. Um, because they're about to graduate, you know, and a lot of them are going to get into strength conditioning. And um, honestly, I think the, that women in the U.S. and probably across the world could benefit hugely with a focus on strength instead of jumping straight to body composition, you know, because there's so many nutritional factors and other things involved that you often get frustrated in your initial, let's say, six or eight weeks of a training program if you're trying to get lean, you know, drop several pounds enough to notice a body fat, where in that same time frame, you're almost guaranteed, unless you're really spinning your wheels with a moron, um, to, to build strength. You know, you could get a lot of positive reinforcement and psychological benefits, like you said with your mom, Mike, you know, like, yeah. oh, I'm so much stronger. And, you know, you, you know, they'll, they'll make, you know, they'll sort of quote unquote, make a muscle, you know, with their arm and show you their biceps or something. That's a, that's a positive adaptation that I think can get people hooked. And instead, what we so often do with women in this country and men too, but I think maybe worse so for women is immediately focus on fat loss when those, there's so many other factors and the progress is fairly slow. I mean, let's figure, you know, a pound of fat per week kind of thing. Not like the 17 pounds a week idiocy, like on tabloids, <laughs> but you know, a focus on strength might be a really good way to start because then you're actually getting adaptation not just psychology, but you're getting adaptations. Like Jason was saying, you know, maybe a, a little bit faster basal metabolic rate or, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I, um, you know, I think strength is the foundation for really everything that we do in human movement. Um, but I, with that, not only you know the the psychological benefits of seeing progress from strength, but also understanding that uh, for, for untrained individuals, when you first start out, you probably don't have the the work capacity to uh, to really. I guess, extend a lot of energy and resistance training workout um, or the coordination. And so as you get those neurological adaptations with, uh, with increased strength and you could handle heavier weights and, and do a higher volume of training, and uh, you're going to see that lead to hopefully uh, an increase in, in, in muscle mass and with that, you know, a greater overall energy expenditure and and then will come the improvements in uh, in body composition or, or it's a decreases good point. in fat mass. Yeah, that's a really good point. That I think there's a lot of women because, like you said, they either grow they grew up being discouraged from strength or whatever. They may not have the physical capacity to go burn a ton of even calories, you know, for the next hour or two because there's strength is the limiting factor like they're not strong enough to keep at it they get you know their weak weakened muscles atrophied muscles get so fatigued they can't actually burn several hundred calories you know in a workout and that kind of thing and then what what implication does that have for their body composition it's just that kind of vicious circle you know yeah, yeah. and one thing i do with um people i coach too primarily online is it seems to be like exactly what you guys are saying more with women is even if their goal is only, let's say, body composition, that you know, strength and hypertrophy is a part of that. So even if their weight was neutral for a couple of weeks and they got stronger, yeah, we'll probably make some changes to get them back on track, but they're still going in the right direction, 
right? Now, if they got weaker and, <laughs> and something like that happened, then, ooh, now we're really going the wrong direction. But, you know, if they're getting, you know, stronger along the way, then you know at least that part is, is going, right? And even with physique competitors, I still want to see them not necessarily get stronger per se, but at least maintain where they're at for as long as possible. That's going to drop towards the end. You know, but if that starts dropping four months out versus four weeks out, you know, that's a, a complete world of difference in how they're going to look and perform, too. Right. And how opposite is that from the tabloid message, right? If somebody loses right. 15 pounds this week, they've actually lost a fair amount. I mean, obviously water and, and glycogen and whatnot, but even strength or muscle tissue because, you know, they're starting to atrophy and they're, I mean, they're not going to atrophy enormously in a week but you get the point it's, it's sort of the opposite they're losing strength they're losing the capacity to exercise um because they're so obsessed with unrealistic pounds of loss you know and focusing on the body comp so much it's it's the opposite of what you're saying instead of trying to maintain strength it's not even a consideration they rather crash their body weight and then they end up they end up kind of screwed because then they don't have enough strength to to train <laughs> I don't know. It's too, yeah. not, not a good thing. And, and we've seen that even in the book you helped with too, Lonnie, <laughs> that if you put someone on a low-protein diet and they're not exercising and you slash their calories by you know 50 to 70% overnight, they are going to lose you know lean mass and muscle. That's just a given. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, final question for you here. If, yes. What advice would you give to... A female looking to improve their body composition uh, what would you tell them to focus on great question uh, I would tell them first of all to focus on resistance training and getting stronger kind of like we just talked about um, training through through the rep ranges I think that's one thing that that the study kind of showed is that you can make progress with uh, both heavy and what I'm going to call moderate weight. I'm not going to say that 10 to 12 reps is, is lightweight. It's moderate. Um, if you're getting stronger, if you're gaining muscle mass, that's going to provide the, the stimulation for, for fat loss, assuming that nutrition is, uh, is good. Good nutrition being eating plenty of protein. I think the, the old one gram per pound of body weight is a, is a fairly good recommendation. And yeah. Then, Yep. Uh, a balanced amount of carbs, fats, and uh, fruit Fiber. and vegetables. So something calorically appropriate. Yep. Nice. Um, and um, oh, go ahead. Oh no, go go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and you're probably going to answer this. What about uh, cardiovascular type training? Cardio should be done. I'm not saying don't do cardio. Just um, find cardio that that you enjoy doing. First of all. Um, and don't overdo it. Um, it's obviously important to keep up aerobic fitness to, uh, to keep up cardiorespiratory fitness, but I don't think it should be the backbone of a program. If the goal is to improve body composition, look at it a way to, to, to relieve some stress, to burn some extra calories, uh, to stay fit in that regard. But there's no need to, first of all, the, the elliptical is a pretty silly machine as it is, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, there's no need to be on the elliptical for an hour a day or to be like hunched over dying on the stair climber for 45 minutes and, and all the other silly things that, that you see, the little like 
on the stair climber, hip hyperextension. Again, not sure if that's an exercise or some sort of mating call. I think it depends on what gym you're in. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, resistance training, plenty of protein, appropriate amount of calories, do some cardio, don't overdo it. I think those are some pretty good basic suggestions. And if you follow that and you get stronger and stick to movements that, that incorporate many joints at one time, you're going to make progress and you're going to, you're going to look better and feel better and and everything you want. Yeah. You know, a friend of the show, Cass Forsyth, she's really good at spreading the word about burning calories outside of the gym, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So if you get your epoch, you know, you get your lingering elevated metabolism for a couple of hours because you did some intense resistance work or you have some muscle soreness. I've actually measured this myself and looked at a couple of papers. There's something like a roughly a 12, 15% increase in, in basal metabolic rate when you're very sore because there's a mild injury response, you know, and so it's not just the calories mm -hmm. you're burning in the gym if you're a calorie counter obsessor. Um, it's what happens over the next 24 hours. It kind of goes back to that time course idea that we were saying, you know, so yeah, right. I, I love what you're saying about resistance training is could sort of be the core of what you're doing. Do some cardio. I, th I think we all agree with that, right? Cardio is not you know, it, endurance exercise is, is not necessarily the core, the mainstay of what you're doing. And yet at the same time, I disagree. I just saw something on YouTube the other day. I think you guys have seen this stuff. This guy, it's literally, the video is called Why Cardio Makes You Fat. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we we overdo it. That, you know, we're, are you eating donuts while you do it? or what? Right, exactly. It's like, let's not overstate <laughs> this. It's not going to make you fat. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but there is some of that can that I, floats around. Can I make an, uh, an announcement? Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so for, for your listeners um, on the East Coast, but I guess anywhere, uh, March 25th, I'm hosting the International Society of Sport Nutrition, um, a sports nutrition and athletic performance workshop at Coastal Carolina University. Um, do you mind if I read through the topics? No, not at all. Oh, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, um, we have uh, Dan Jaffe, who is a uh, he's a professor at West Point. He's going to be talking about annual powerlifting planning and programming for the strength-based tactical athlete. Uh, we have Dr. Jamie Dietrich talking about concussions and their implications for sports scientists and coaches. We have Dr. Uh, Tricia Van Dusseldorp, who's going to be talking about intermittent fasting we got Dr. Chris McDonald uh, talking about a brief overview of the basic mechanisms and practical applications of uh, post-activation potentiation. Hmm. Uh, we have Daniel Aguilar from uh, University of South Florida talking about inclusive versus exclusive dieting, what works best, if it fits your macros or clean eating, um, and that's specific to uh, to physique, uh, female physique competitors. And then my talk is Rock the Bikini, Training and Nutrition for, for Female Physique. So this is uh, March 25th at Coastal Carolina University, and the, um, the rates for the conference are pretty uh, quite reasonable. Cool topics, yeah. Yeah, where can people find more about that? Is there a URL or link? Yeah, so you can email me, uh, 
jchaliwa at coastal.edu. That's not how you pronounce my name, but it's phonetically <laughs> how it looks. Right. Do you want to spell it out for people so they can figure it out? Yeah, it's C-H-O-L-E-W-A. So jchaliwa uh, at coastal.edu. There we go. And then um, if you go to the ISSN website and, and go to conferences, you can look up the flyer and more information there. So it's going to be... It's going to be a good talk um, or a good workshop. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being on the show this week. We greatly appreciate it. And if listeners want to find out more about you specifically, where would they find you? Oh, good question. I should have promoted that too. Um, <laughs> you just can, a promoting machine now. I know, right? Um, <laughs> two, two places. You can uh, I have a website. It's jasonkaliva.com. Um, and you can see a little bit about what I do, my coaching, etc. cetera. Uh, or you can follow me on Facebook at a Big Red Physical Performance. Okay, cool. Well, Sweet. thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And now we've got some good information for the female listeners and for the guys listening that, that can promote it to the other females in their life too to help hopefully get rid of all the horrible information out there. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. See you guys. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet, 
or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.